So here's my take. Yes. Lloyd could do The Tempest, but Shakespeare could never do Mamma Mia. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, well, he doesn't write music very well. I mean, really not well at all. There are a couple songs in some of Shakespeare's plays, and they all kind of, meh. Yeah. I mean, that being said, there's only like two or three good songs in this. I think that's the Abbott catalog, isn't it? Yeah, two or three good songs. Well, here's then, the thing that a I've, lot of, meh. I, I've been really wondering about Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, because they... Oh, right, a sequel. Yeah, yeah. They pretty much use all the bops except for Fernando, and they kind of hum Fernando. Yeah, so do they just re-recycle for the prequel, or is it more original? Well, it's prequel and see, it's a Godfather 2 scenario. Yeah, because we're going back and forth between timelines, Correct. Right? I do know that. But yeah, I don't know if they, they'd pull Mamma Mia or Dancing Queen again. I mean, um, you'd have to, right? A dancing That's Queen what people is come like for. the song, yeah. I, I uh, There's a couple, take a chance on me. I was yeah. like, oh, cool, finally. That's the fun one. That's, that's yeah. That's a good that's one. A good, that is a fun one. But you're right. A real... You wonder about the ratio of bops that Abba has <laughs> when watching this film. And you start to think, oh, yeah, there's a reason I only know a handful of Abba songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is so a true. So when those songs come on... It is exciting. It, it is a party. It I've hit. not seen Across the Universe, but my understanding... Yeah, you did. We watched it for the show. Did we? Yep. I don't remember. <laughs> At all, I was thinking I hadn't seen it because I just knew Strawberry it, Fields Forever, baby. I know, they, yeah, it's like, it's, but it's like a, a rom com, but they sing Beatles songs to each other, right? It's, it's, it's the same. It's premise. more of a dramedy. No, that no, was like seven so, years ago. Yeah, I've slept. It was less than that, but still. Uh, yeah, I saw it, was it in three theaters. houses ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a while ago for you. It's a way to measure time, right there. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I don't think you you disliked it. Yeah, I yeah, think you were pretty mixed on it. I thought it was fine. You know, yeah, clearly it made an impression. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, but I'm just thinking the Beatles are they've got tons and tons of hits. You know, is Abba's a weird yeah. choice is all I want to say. I like Abba, but I mean, I don't love Abba. Is it Abba or Abba? Abba. I don't know. Abba? Abba? Abba father? I, I'm not saying anybody has to do it any one way or the other. I'm just now realizing Abba. it. I've never thought about the question. Abba. <laughs> you have to roll the B. Uh, Abba, sheer stabby. It's Abbas. There, right? I, I know. I was doing it. Oh boy! Hello, everybody, and welcome you have to again say to, it backwards <laughs> to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you will never ever discuss in the film studies course. And we are back, true to form, talking about the uh, 2008 film uh, Mamma Mia. Uh, Man of Seafried, Meryl Streep, uh, Pierce Brosnan, Colin Firth, uh, Stellan you know, others. Christine Bransky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christine Bransky, who was, is fun. And a hauler. Yes. She's, she's both fun. of those things. We, Often. We, yes. I, I just like her in general. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's, yeah she just she's does a delight. She does, I mean, a treasure. does it well. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about that. Um, Jukebox musical um, right now. My name's I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. And I, yeah, none of us know who our dad is. So it's... <laughs> This is a great. This is a great film for us to be discussing. <laughs> I'm waiting on that 23 and me to hit. <laughs> uh, in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean we are going to spoil what happens at the end. Which you might wonder, 
what happens at the end and uh, what might or might not be revealed. Yeah, so if you're worried about having a 15-year-old musical based on pop songs from the 70s spoiled, <laughs> abandon hope all ye who enter here. But we'll give you a brief reprieve nonetheless. We'll have synopsis, which will be like what you read on IMDb, which won't tell you what's going to happen. No. We'll also do thumbs up, thumbs down We'll flip down the reviews. lights up and down so you know. Yes, and uh, we'll, the thumbs up, thumbs down reviews will be kind of what we think of the plot. There might be some plotty bits, but it won't be the way it ends. Uh, finally, we'll get down to a little show or a little uh, game we play called Expanding the Syllabus, in which we might spoil the film or films of its ilk, probably less likely this time than other times, but it could happen. And then we'll have music, that's when we flick the lights, to let you know that all spoiler bets are off. So that's your warning, friends. Um, Arthur, do you have a synopsis prepared for us? In preparation for her wedding, Sophie invites the father she never knew to give her away. The only issue... She doesn't know which of the three men that her mother spent a summer loving is her father. So she invites them all. Mama Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> yep. So that's what happens. Ah, shenanigans. Shenanigans. Um, I had actually seen this movie once. Like in wow. At one point. Okay. Yeah. I had not. Uh, yeah. I, um, my uh... son is very much into musicals. And at some point he was watching part of it. And I'd, huh. I'd seen it. Gotcha. I was working at a theater when this came out. Uh, the same weekend as The Dark Knight, a little counter-programming. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned we this last it. show. Yeah, yeah, I respect that. Yeah, I thought I might have brought it up. It's, you know, I think it's genius, truly. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's really just Everybody clever. needs something. Absolutely. It was a big weekend at the theater. This was this was a time, you <laughs> it know. It was. You know, we used to build things. <laughs> we used to build things. Tell, 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 tell me more, Mr. McAvoy. We, we used to have a film industry <laughs> that was we the dominant. We built monuments. We did. We, we had a film industry that was the dominant force in popular culture, and people were out at the theaters, and if it wasn't to see Christian Bale go, it's me. It was to see Meryl Streep go, Mamma Mia, <laughs> which is like cool. I don't know. I like that. I like, you know, we're going to get that again with Oppenheimer and Barbie this summer. You know, I think that's pretty exciting. The weirding thing, though, is that that Venn diagram is a lot smaller than what the what the uh, the, the the four quadrants we're getting with this uh, 2008 weekend. I that's mean, true. Most of the people who are wanting to see Oppenheimer are also wanting to go see Barbie. There are a lot of freaks. <laughs> yeah. And all the film bros are there for for the Gerwig Barbie movie. That tells you a lot about how film culture has changed between 08 and 23. Correct. Yeah. 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 I think. That, and that's for the better. Ironic that it is another uh, Christopher Nolan opening, though. It, exactly. Yeah. Isn't that fun. Yeah. So, yep, um, that is a what's a happening uh, here, I guess. Uh, let's do some thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Uh, Martha, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Mamma mia. Um, <laughs> it's a mia. You know what? Uh, I said Philita Lloyd uh, could do The Tempest uh, because she has. Uh, she has a background in Shakespearean uh, theater. Uh, did you, wait, did you do the Helen Mirren one? Or, uh, oh, no, she's just, no, just on stage. On the stage? Yeah, oh, okay, cool. critically acclaimed Shakespearean director. That's awesome. Uh, and that really comes through here um, because this is very much a Twelfth Night, madcap, taming of the shrew, everybody everywhere interfering with everything, mm -hmm. Greek chorus and all, uh, Shakespearean comedy. Um, and those bits are fun. Um, the, uh, cast having a ball. I mean, everybody here is just having a blast. I, I, I think just across the board, top, top of the bill to the bottom of the bill. Everybody is just having a blast. And, uh, I think it's about an hour too long, um, <laughs> for the, uh, for the depth of the narrative that we get, because it really just, I mean, it immediately sets up the conflict and then spins its wheels for about an hour. Um, it really does. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing of substance 
uh, or depth to to the way this narrative unfolds. Uh, everybody shows up, and the conflict is there, and it just is well, for we about got another three hour. Single guys and three single ladies. So there's and never to the six shall meet. <laughs> Two sets of three single ladies. Yes. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It I laughed several times. I enjoyed some of the music that I knew. Um, I, I think the biggest limitation is having to base this movie uh, story around the works of ABBA, uh, which may be its biggest hindrance. But I also recognize this movie is really not for me. Uh, mm. You know, I think there's a very uh, designated audience for this uh, movie. I admire, you know, I, I made a joke in the chat, and we may come back to this later. Uh, you know, what's the opposite of Dude's Rock? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there isn't. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you get a few female-led action movies, but most female-centered movies are period pieces or dramas, and there's nothing like this. There's you know? only so many girls' trips and bachelorettes. Yeah. yeah. You know what and I mean? And even yeah. those skew younger. I mean, this yeah. feels like it's for mom and her older daughter, maybe grandma, and, you know, like a generational story. Sure. Uh, I, I think it's fairly strong with its feminist with themes with Donna. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it does that really well. Um, Donna's Marilyn, right? Meryl. Meryl. Uh, Meryl is what I meant to say. Sorry. <laughs> My summer with Marilyn. Um, Marilyn Monroe came back from the grave <laughs> to do this. What a movie. What a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn was both looking a little dry. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's a, a, I think this fills a very specific niche that unfortunately doesn't get a lot of attention. You know, we get occasionally something like, 80 for Brady, which is kind of there, but that skews old. I don't know. There's just a weird place where this lives. Um, not unlike Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, um, which is just so weird that it's kind of harder to sell, I think, to certain audiences mm-hmm. in a way that this is. But I think there's very much a place and a crowd and an audience for this. Either those who are watching it ironically because of its campy, heightened comic surreal absurdist nature or the the mom and daughter crowd who are hanging out and watching this and kind of reminiscing you know mom's reminiscing about her her youth or whatever and so i think there's very much a place for it and i appreciate that about it uh and i think those who do like it from some of the stuff i've read are kind of leaning that way there are a lot of major flaws yeah i, I and a lot of it is just you know you you mentioned the choreography off air it's, it's, or on letterbox it's not great uh, the music's just not. You don't like the boys dancing Abba's... on the dock and the uh, flippers. That's not the. Oh, that's I, the peak that's of this the movie. Peak, actually, that's I the thought best that was part of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Arthur and I choreography. Are... Yeah, we're on the same page there, Arthur. Um, well, I don't care for it. But... <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing that looks choreographed. Yeah, it's funny how they 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 really get a lot of mileage out of the image of lots of people crammed onto a dock. Yeah, they do that twice. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I for me. Uh, I wasn't mad I watched this. I had fun uh, when I was engaged. I just, I think it's too long for what the story is. And it just has to kind of spin its wheels to hit it on all the hits. And you cut it down to 45 minutes to an hour, focus on, you know, five or six songs, and you probably have a stronger a stronger feature uh, that works. But otherwise, eh, eh. Very good, very good. Uh, that's what Arthur says, eh. What do you say, Dalton? 
I'm pretty much in lockstep with Arthur on this. Yeah, not mad I watched it. Um, did laugh, did, did have a nice time. I think everybody's having a great time. I'm right there with you, Arthur. I think every performance is really fun. I like the dynamics uh, going on between the performances. You know, the character arcs are shallow and you know not they're not really huge Mm -hmm. you know profound arcs for everybody but they're the characters are fun and you know they get along they like each other and they they interact with each other in interesting ways um it's it's charming you know it's it's Mm -hmm. a nice time Mm -hmm. it's also not for me you know you know it is it is kind of a hangout movie and it's especially if you like the tunes of abba and i don't know i got like two ABBA songs I like, <laughs> but I, you, you know, got I, them both though. I, just, I did. I, just, I got all the ones I like except for Fernando, <laughs> which I can only assume was it in will, the sequel. Yes. If I see here we go again, I'll, because I'll there's get... probably a character named Fernando. Oh my God. Right. There has to be a character. I mean, named that Fernando. seems like but, a choice, right? I mean, I could just picture the Alamo screenings of this with the sold out crowd and, sure. and you know, brunch and mimosas and everybody's just singing along to sure. Mama Mia. Yeah. I bet it's a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I would go to that. That would be good. But yeah, this, you know, it's fine. The ABBA songs just don't, they're not all bops. And it's, they really got to cram, you know, they cram Waterloo into the end, which is just kind of weird. It's just like, there's already like, we've run out of movie and is we're just... the song with them in the outfits over the credits? Yeah. Okay. That was fun. Yeah. But it was it's, also it's, extra. Well, that's, no, there's the one over the credits and then there's another, another one. Oh, there's, oh yeah. I, I, I stopped watching but There's two. Oh. Yeah. They do two over the credits. Oh. It's very interesting. Oops. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I watched. Uh, I was just, I couldn't stop. Uh, <laughs> I was very confused. Hey, once the guys show up dressed like Elvis, what what do you want? Oh, wow. I, I did that. Peace out before that. I should have stayed. With the guys in the Elvis jumpsuits? Uh, in the credits? Yeah. I missed that. Okay. Well, dang. Shoot. The girls were in kind of Elvis-esque. No. Uh, you, you mean Pierce Brosnan, Firth, Brosnan and, and uh, Stargard uh, no. all show up dressed in like Elvis jumpsuits with big belt buckles with their names on them. I should have watched just a little bit longer. Man. Oh, I've been robbed. Just a little bit longer. I should have held on. Because ah. watching that, I, I definitely was thinking more along what, what you mentioned with your syllabus idea. I, you know? I, I didn't see that bit to even think that thought. I was already thinking yeah. that. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. It's... That's a fun gag. There's not enough fun gags, you know? It's got a handful, and, and Meryl is, of course, very charming, and Amanda Seyfried, very charming. Everybody's charming, you know? Sure. And that's that a very game cast will get you a long way, and that gets this movie a long way. And, you know, a, a fairly well-directed film will get you there. You know, the cameras, the blocking isn't uninteresting, right? Like, they... They know to move people around within the frame, even if though they haven't asked people to learn like dance moves. Mm -hmm. They are trying to get people to keep things from being too static during these musical numbers. So I I appreciate some of the choices being made. Uh, But yeah, just not not entirely for me as much as I, you know, did find it charming. Bed jumping um, gymnastics was not enough for you. No, no, sadly not. Sadly not. Uh, So I'm with my my co-hosts here, I think. I think it's good. I, I, I again, I, it's not setting the world on fire or whatever. It is fine. It is watchable. It well, it is... did set the world on fire. It made like six hundred million. Yeah, it made a ton of cash. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it. But it it is for like a demo, a, a particular demo, and I'm not in that demo. And it's the kind of movie. It makes me think of like Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and to a lesser extent, Steel Magnolias, mm-hmm. and uh, some of these other movies that uh, if you caught it at the right time with the right parent and or friend group mm-hmm. it becomes 
your group's movie. It's 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 that slumber party movie. It's that time me and my mom went and saw this movie movie, and and it becomes very very near and dear to your heart. It not just for what it is, but but for the sort of social. Uh, outside the experience of the film um, environment it creates. It's it's that kind of movie. And we need to have those kinds of movies. But if you are not in that zone and part of that thing, then you sort of see how slight it actually is. is that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so that that's not a... I mean, again, that's not a knock on it. It's just simply saying that's... It's it's fun, easy breezy, easy to consume, um, a delightful little, you know, charming, um, good feelings all the way through from beginning to end. I mean kind of movie but it's also really designed for that sort of life on home video that life with you know your bachelorette party or whatever kind of watching this movie uh that's that's kind of what it needs to be and that's sort of what it's designed to do so and and again that's not that's not a knock at all it's just that's a particular kind of thing. Well, and yeah, I think Arthur invoking the idea of a you know an Alma Draft House brunch screening is or sing along screening, like yeah, that's that, that's, that's yes, it's, it's not what, that cult film. It's what yeah. It's, yeah, it's what it's for, right? Totally. And, and in doing that, it's all fine. Um, I I was thinking really what it felt like to me was the the TV movie version of a sitcom that Meryl Streep and Manna Seyfried are on a sitcom somewhere in the states. And this that, is the musical this, special. This is the musical special. That's, that, that's what this feels like to me. And, I like that. And it added about an hour long, it would have been about right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I guess, you know, you're saying it's about an hour or two long or whatever. I'm like, that's about 45 minutes too long in that way. And But either way, I mean, we're not we're not splitting that hair too finely, I don't think. So I, I'm with you saying it ought to be a bit shorter, but it really could be that musical version, you know, the sort of um, Once More With Feeling, Buffy the Vampire Slayer yep. episode, but longer. And it would really would have worked for that uh, with that sort of existing... Uh, set of characters. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very very fine. It it is very very fine. But I, it wasn't for me to begin with, so I don't have to love it. But I don't I don't besmirch anyone liking this. It's not one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, I don't care for it, and I don't know what's wrong with people who do, which sometimes is a thing I think. Um, but that is not what I'm thinking of this as. It's not for me, but I understand why people like. He's it. He's looking at all those Boondock Saints people. That's right. Hey, I am too. There's and I w- I used to be one of them. So I get you reformed. It. I, yeah, hey, I've seen the error of my ways, and I put aside, I put aside childish things. So, and, there, so there, unless they're directed by Chad Stahelski. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, friends. Those are our thoughts on uh, Mamma Mia. Uh, we are generally middling in our thoughts regarding uh, that film. We're going to move on to the next part of our show, which we call "Expanding the Syllabus." And Dalton is going to explain what that's all about. That's right. Uh, Dustin has earlier called this the show where we discuss the films you wouldn't discuss in a film studies course, and this is the part of the show where we deliver on the promise of that premise. We're going to talk about Mamma Mia, and we're going to try to do it in an academic, discoursey type way. We're going to try to bring in other texts, other films, other things in its orbit, and try to uh, string together something resembling a legitimate <laughs> academic discussion. Uh, and and how, how would you use this film, and you know what what other kind of ephemera would you attach to it and and what sort of would the theme of the class be do you come prepared with the syllabus my friend i have yeah i think this is sort of i i like them the the concept of of sophie and donna like running this hotel together is very cute Mm -hmm. it's very endearing and then you've got sky wants to come in and try to you know help help run the business up a little bit more it's it's very endearing and and you know and there's a magical quality to the to the hotel and that got to me got me thinking about sort of the 
the way we see hotels used as liminal spaces within stories sort of this like kind of underlying magical quality that hotels and motels can kind of have within stories this mm. sort of this you know this way station this sort of transitory uh, place oh that's fun yeah yeah, yeah. So I've got some some different options. Obviously, I went with uh, obvious ones like The Shining um, and uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Arthur, you mentioned Hotel Rwanda, which I I didn't even think about, but I think that's a really like kind of outside of my conception of what I was thinking for this, but definitely is like exactly what I was thinking at the same time, right? Because it's a story about you know this this uh, was he a manager of the hotel or the owner of the hotel? But anyway, this the character that Cheadle plays in that that film. Uh, you know, uses this hotel as a sanctuary. And that's, again, like sort of exactly what I was thinking with this, mm-hmm. this class is this idea that the hotels represent something outside of nor- the normal space. Um, uh, there's this little film called Hotel Artemis that got kind of eaten up by another film about a cool hotel for assassins. <laughs> uh, but Hotel Artemis is fun. It's more yeah. of a doing an Agatha Christie thing, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of fun premise. I also really was a fairly big fan of uh, the Duplass Brothers show Room 104 on HBO, the anthology series. I thought that that was kind of a fun premise. I always really enjoyed that series and the way it used the idea of the hotel room. I just kind of was enamored with. I mean, it's a great setting for an anthology. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It just yeah. gives you so much. You can do so much. Mm-hmm. And, well, and they got about four seasons worth of ideas mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. And also, the recent White Lotus, you know, another HBO motel hotel anthology series. Uh, of getting this one more set around the idea of luxury hotels, uh, but still kind of using this idea. I also, of course, love the the, the film The Florida Project, uh, the Sean Baker mm. film mm-hmm. uh, with Willem Dafoe and sort of a supporting role there. And uh, that's another one that I think, especially this idea of this this Orlando-based motel that's just in the, the shadow of Disney, like even adds this other sheen of of magic to it that's sort of interesting. And especially, you know, so much of that film is filtered through the POV of a child, sort of the whimsy uh, and, and, and danger of childhood both kind of get into the frame of that film in an interesting way. There's a 30s film, uh, The Grand mm-hmm. Hotel, Lionel Barrymore mm-hmm. and Marlena Dietrich, that yeah. would also work well with this. Hell sort yeah. of, you know, gives you a, a broader span of mm-hmm. time, I was thinking about. It's a fun movie, too. I was thinking, I think I said it, Key Largo, which is a oh, Key Largo, yeah, movie as well. Too, yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you, so you guys are definitely picking up on what I'm putting down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that there's something interesting there. Uh, Arthur challenged me to not bring up the Continental or anybody who might frequent the Continental, but, uh, well... I deliberately defied him. Yeah, Arthur wins. <laughs> Arthur wins. Yeah, I've, I'm just handing him the W. <laughs> because, of course, I want to talk about that, too. But, yeah, I don't know. I think hotels just are interesting. I think they're they're fun mm-hmm. places, and I think all of these stories, like, get that. And I, I, I think it's a really kind of common trope that I, I like to see explored. Very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. Sir. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have a syllabus prepared? Yeah, I was started thinking about uh, similarly setting and locales. And so I wanted to approach this in looking at movies that look at either the same city or a similar type of area from two different sides of the same coin. Okay. Kind of an idea. And so really what I was thinking as we were on this Greek resort surrounded by beautiful water and cliffs and all of that fun, I couldn't help but think of Marina. And so that's kind of what got my will spinning here. And for uh, Mamma Mia, right, it's kind of the idealistic 
uh, vacation, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it presents this Greece, this Greek resort as welcoming and fun and life giving and uh, hope filled. Whereas Marina kind of approaches that with this sort of uh, Croatian resort that is very much on its last legs. Can we get out of here? It is not a safe haven. The water is both refuge and uh, uh, space of terror, mm-hmm. of death, of uncertainty, of unknowing. And it's a fun way in which uh, these two movies, I think, juxtapose two images of the same space, of the uh, island resort or the beach resort, uh, and look at it in two different ways with two different viewpoints and two different outlooks uh, with characters. I mean, they're both familial struggles as well, right? This mother and her daughter trying to figure out who the father is uh, compared to this daughter uh, with her mother who is frightened of this monster who is her father Mm -hmm. and and the way they are trying to navigate all of that. And then people come in from outside world, which interfere in the, you know, story being told. And so I thought that was just a fun place to jump off. And so I want to look at uh, other kind of city spaces that have dual presentation like this. Uh, I think the big E on the I chart from there would be Manhattan, uh, juxtaposed with Taxi Driver. Uh, nice. Manhattan, this very romantic, uh, very privileged view of uh, the island. And from Woody Allen's point of view, this person who obviously very much loves New York um, as it comes across in a lot of his films, but very much a romanticized, idyllic look at Manhattan versus Scorsese's uh, Taxi Driver, which mm-hmm. is Paul Schrader's sad, and, lonely yeah. bullshit. Yeah. One's, one's Gershwin, the other one's like New York Dolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's you know, I mean, and not far apart. One just a couple of years apart mm-hmm. in their production, uh, and so it's fun to see these two. If you want to call them auteurs, you know, presenting these views of the city, you know, just blocks apart and dramatically different outlooks, dramatically different views of the city, uh, and representing different views of the culture and the politics of the time and the air of the time and uh, the class of the time. And I think it's a really fun uh, juxtaposition. Uh, The next one, I just kind of look at small towns. Uh, And so the first would be the recent Jerry and Marge go large. Uh, Oh, that's the Cranston. Yeah. Brian Cranston and Annette Bidding, who it's a fun, uh, it kind of fills the same niche uh, demographic as Mamma Mia, Mm. Um, you know, but it's a fun time. This kind of, uh, post middle age heist type movie which is just a, a silly bit of fun when everybody's having a good time uh, but it's very much presenting the small town as a town where everybody knows everybody and everybody wants to help everybody which is one view of small towns that you know they're very mayberry and they're very uh you know everybody's just wanting to love one another and succeed and has everybody's best interests at heart uh, and i want to take a look at that in uh, opposition to the last picture show which mm. takes a small texas town and presents it as this place devoid of hope or future uh that the small town is filled with I gossip and backbiting and drama and yeah uh Bogdanovich. um and that to stay in the small town means probably no hope of prosperity, no hope of future Mm -hmm. that you were going to go much the way of the people there just sorting, wasting away in the middle of, you know, America's nowhere. And so I think those are fun next to each other. Uh, We got to talk about L.A. We got to talk Hollywood. 
and so I almost went with La La Land and Babylon, uh, mm-hmm. but instead I wanted to keep it time centric. And so I actually want to look at the artist mm. in Babylon. Nice. Uh, these two portrayals yeah. of Hollywood in the 20s, in the advent of sound, uh, one much more optimistic about Hollywood and hope filled uh, in the artist. And even though. Uh, Jean de Jardin falls on hard times. He is, you know, finds a way to bounce back and transition into the sound era uh, versus uh, Babylon, which is something. Um, <laughs> well, and kind of a love letter, kind of a poison a love for, letter, yeah. yeah. And uh, a film nobody liked and got no love. Uh, just because the uh, the artist that is going to have a huge cult following. Bingo, you got it. A yeah. movie that's going to have big cultural yep. after leg, like yeah. uh, you know the the, the legs on this are going to be long. In five whereas, years, the conversation about Babylon is going to be a lot more interesting than it is this yeah. year. And then the yeah, artist, much more so than that about the artist. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The cultural yeah. longevity is going to be much more favorable to Babylon, I think. I, I yeah, hundred percent. And so the Babylon Hive is out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are trying to activate, you know, uh, daily. Uh, so I think that's a fun back to back as well. And then finally, uh, I tried to figure out some other cities. I thought about Detroit. I couldn't think of any that may put Detroit in a positive light uh, that are newer. There may be some older ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but in thinking of anything from the 80s on, 70s on, there's not a lot. Uh, that frames Detroit uh, in a good way. There's a car movie like Rolling Iron or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm something. sure there's like one. You know, yeah. I thought of Detroit Rock City, but even that's not really about Detroit. It's about no. getting to a Kiss concert in Detroit. Yeah. Um, so I decided to go a, a, a little nearby. Uh, we're going to Chicago. Uh, and we're going to take a look at Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And John Hughes, we're going to talk about his love of Chicago and how that becomes such a nostalgic lens through his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Ferris Bueller more specifically because we get the parade. We get a lot more of that stuff going on. And we're going to contrast that with Widows. I wondered if you're going to do Widows. Yeah, so nice. Steve McQueen's yeah. Widows, uh, which really I gets more. I thought you might do Candyman. So. <laughs> oh, that would have been cool, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think uh, that uh, Widows gives us this outlook into the changes in the city. We get into some race components. We get into politics. We get into uh, power dynamics and corruption and crime and how that all uh, was a lot more you know, questionable and, and a bit more cynical in relation to something that's you know through the rose-colored glasses of a John Hughes movie. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a fun look at that, that community, that neighborhood, that city. Uh, through those two films. And so that's what I want to do is these kind of two sides of the city coin. Widows is such a great pick for that too. Cause it's got that long shot where you see like when they're the, driving. Yeah. yeah. You know, that driving shot that just shows like the real world stratification of yeah. wealth. Like it's just right there. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like within blocks of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin, how would you teach Mama Mia? <laughs> <laughs> I think if I were to use that movie in a class, I, if I was teaching, It'd be some version of film history or film production. We don't teach, you know, where I teach, I don't teach how to make movies. But I was thinking about production history itself, mm-hmm. like the, the process of how well, people put together movies and uh, doing something along the lines of the vacation film. Uh, and I, that seems to be the, this movie is that, right? You've got a bunch of people that you like to get together and the way you uh, sort of get everyone to agree to contract out is like, hey, we can afford to get them all there because we're going to give them all a, you know, three months in Greece, right? This, uh, I mean, I'd go. 
Absolutely, I'd go. I wouldn't care what I did. You know, just if I get to spend three months in Greece and have the weekends off, that sounds wonderful, right? And so that kind of idea. Uh, I would pair this, obviously, with the Adam Sandler movies uh, that does maybe 51st Dates. Uh, but these trips he takes to Hawaii uh, with uh, various people. Uh, that are sort of part of his uh, collective production creative troupe uh, there. And then uh, the recent Shotgun Wedding, I think, would be the last film that I would use uh, in this, in which uh, J-Lo and... DeHamel. De- DeHamel, yeah, yeah. DeMel. Well, DeMel. Is it DeMel? It's DeMel. Yeah, no, Justin DeHamel. I know. I th- I'm going Whatever. to start saying DeHamel, though. <laughs> Whatever. I really like that. That guy from Transformers uh, is... Dylan McDermott Mulroney. He does look like him, though, right? <laughs> Them, I should say. Yeah. Did I show you that sketch? I think I sent that. Well, I? I think maybe. We'll have to talk, we'll talk about it. Uh, but, do you know he's uh, Fergie's ex? I just Mr. Fergie is how I think of him. I, I don't really? think of him as the guy from Transformers. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't keep up on the gossip very well. I guess. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't even know if they're still together. I think I assume that they're not. Yeah, I, I, don't, even, I don't even. I I just chose <laughs> to assume pessimism. that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not even exactly the best uh, uh, source on this, but I, a good pick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's a movie about a destination wedding to start with, and so he there's is six foot four. He's a tall guy. Uh, there's a real sort of meta-ness to the idea that the the movie itself is sort of a ostensible vacation mm-hmm. to, to start with, and it is, of course, that's part of how you get everybody there. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, I, thinking about that and the particular challenges that it produces and the particular ways in which uh, it is a uh, mode of acquiring talent and also the challenges of different kinds of production. Uh, connecting that to, you know, those number of... Uh, Prison movies and uh, Vietnam sort of sent movies in the 1970s and early 80s that were set in the, that were shot in the Philippines. Uh, the ways in which that's our sort of jungle analog, and people would go there, uh, less of a vacation spot, but a really cheap place to shoot. And the evolution of that to more destinational kind of places like your Hawaii's or your Caribbeans and uh, islands off the coast of Greece uh, now would be part of that conversation as well. So just methods of production is what I would think about there, and the use of that as a part of how uh, a film is able to sell its own exoticism in its advertising and able to acquire its uh, creative teams uh, to produce. That would be uh, the closest thing I could... I, 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 I mentioned this in our group chat. There is something... About well, as you know, what we'll use that as our first point of business, and then we'll move on. Um, I think it's now time we got down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business. Time. So the business I was thinking about, or the the other syllabus I was thinking about, is there's something very drag adjacent in this movie. I could not help but thinking about it all the time. There are no yeah. drag characters. There's nothing explicitly queer in this film at all, but not it definitely, and, you know, other than just musical theater being a, a you know, a haven for, for queer folks for forever. Yeah, there's Correct. something sort of, I, know, I get what you're saying. It, well, yeah. well, Judy Garland is straight, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's a way in which the flaws of this kind of allow it to lead much more camp than it, yeah. I mean, it, it don't think it is intentionally camp but i think it could it's camp adjacent yeah, yeah. And especially when you see them show up with their elvis outfits yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, apparently well, they're uh, called donna and the dynamos that's their name as a friend yeah. group they have a they have a number one they've, yeah, <laughs> they've selected a primo like yeah yeah that it's so there, there's something to this and i i don't know what because i don't i don't understand the theory quad well enough to be able to do anything with it I, i'm you know and richard dyer's incongruous um, entertainment and some of these other books might be helpful here, but 
there, there, there seems to be something that one can do uh, with uh, this idea of camp and this idea of what becomes the source material for drag and uh, how drag shows sort of uh, put together their... I mean, I think ABBA is sort of well-known as uh, some of the tracks that are oftentimes lip-synced uh, mm-hmm. for this kind of sure. stuff. To, I, so there's like a chicken and egg, Oberos kind of thing, self-feeding cycle here, because I think ABBA was popular with drag before this movie, but I could see it really accelerating the popularity of doing ABBA songs. Yeah, Streep feels like she should be... You know, not as big as Cher, but should have like more of a footprint in the drag world. I guess it's because she's not like explicitly a song and dance person. Right. And, you know, I I wonder how the Mamma Mia films have uh, have done for folks doing Meryl drag personas. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just pointing out and really don't I don't have analysis myself as much as I, I point out there's there's an intuitive connection here that I'm sure that, you know, a little research would help us. Uh, to be able to suss out, and so I, I just want to mention that as sort of a uh, analytical handle, even though I don't know, I don't have much purchase there myself. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we've we've gotten as much mileage as we we're going to get on that, but I'm glad you brought it up. But it gives us a good, you know, a, a good pivot point to talk about just musicals in general mm-hmm. and like movie musicals and the movie, the Broadway musical to movie musical adaptation, which mm-hmm. is different than a movie musical, you know. Absolutely. They are, they're, you know, obviously both are filmed musicals, but one is an adaptation and one is a movie. Right. Uh, a movie first. And so that kind of creates, I don't know, there's a, I, I think uh, Across the Universe is a good one for you to have brought up earlier just because that's, I, I think of that, you know, as sort of, I, I don't know how you would do a stage only version of that because that, that, that was made at, as envisioned as a film, produced as a film. It's pretty you know. sweeping with its locations yes, and exactly. moving, and it's hard to mm-hmm. centralize that to a stage. Exactly, yeah. A lot of sets, a lot of time periods, yeah. And yeah. and very filmy, right? And, and very much using sort of dreamy, uh, surrealist, psychedelic iconography from, you know, the Beatles era. And again, I don't know how you do a stage show, whereas this feels like, okay, yeah, I could see how you do Mamma Mia on Well, there are, there are moments in it, which I haven't seen the stage play, but there are moments <clears> in no. it when I can almost see, like, the blocking is being borrowed. It, you yeah. could tell it had been borrowed from what was the stage. Yeah. There, the moment when the, the, the two other bridesmaids, um, like, in, in you know, it's an, oh, my God, they say together as, as she tells them that they've she's invited all three dads, mm. and then they all, they both sit down. Right, they and it's like I watched that. And go, yeah, that was in the play, and that, uh, they, that would be funny stage blocking. Yeah, and, and they just and they just shot it the exact same way. I think the screenwriter is the same person who's got the musical book credit. Yeah, mm. is is that yeah. right? Yeah, I thought so, which I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting. You know, it, this is definitely one that makes you go, oh, ooh, this jukebox musical maybe does serve better as a stage show. Yeah. You know, you can you can get away with a little bit more, I feel like, with because you just have a higher caliber of performer for a stage production. Sure. Which is not not to poo poo our movie stars, but our movie stars just aren't what they used to be. Well, but, that it, um, I think Mark Kermode makes this observation and I think it's correct. It does feel <laughs> like um, a listers doing karaoke. That's yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good really place for it. it. Yeah. Well, is endearing as somebody who doesn't have a strong voice. I find Pierce Brosnan's so-so singing very endearing and ad, you know, yeah. I admire it. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, a, a good movie, I don't know that it necessarily makes, you know? Yeah. Well, they it's get, like... They get I, the chorus and to support him real quick. <laughs> I always kind of like Russell Crowe and Les Mis. Yeah. And he's got that kind of rock thing going on, but 
most people just raked him across the coals. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, and there's a way you kind of like, okay, he's doing it, he's doing the thing, yeah, yeah, because he could have had somebody vo it, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, I mean, that's the other option, it, and it does. It just, I mean, but, but the karaoke feel is not necessarily a knock either. Is it is the sort it's of feature, not a bug? It, yeah. It, yeah well, I think of... when you're doing a jukebox thing, especially when you're staying this close to the original recordings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I think that's going to be the feel contrasting that with like Moulin Rouge where everything's been remixed or medleyed. Mm-hmm. So it feels new. I think gives that a different vibe as well. That's a very good point. I think Moulin Rouge is another really good one to invoke, especially just like, again, stage jukebox musical versus film jukebox musical, just right. d- different goals, different attitudes. Cause again, across the universe, I think another one where, for the most part, the arrangements are fairly close, but they definitely were not scared to mess with the, the Beatles' original arrangements in that movie. And that definitely feels like something that, you know, I, I don't know if people are going to go see the ABBA stage show. They're going to be pretty pissed if those songs been tweaked, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, I mean, most tweaks here are just, they usually start out as spoken word and then mm-hmm. transition no, into like song. Like vibratos into, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I think to Dalton's point, bringing in a, you know, we talked about bringing in movie stars, but we also bring in a, a stage director. Yeah, Rather really than a film director, which doesn't always work. I mean, Brana makes the transition pretty well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I mean, they are two completely different mediums and sure. having to navigate that and then working with movie stars versus actors you know mm-hmm. i mean some of these ha- people have done stage but sure i think it's an interesting place well speaking of the actor movie star split i mean i think we can agree that meryl is a a true blue thespian mm-hmm. but this is definitely a movie star gig for her and i think it's a fun one i think mm-hmm. uh, like this is a great she's great here oh my god yeah she's solid so all charming. the way through yeah i'm uh, just breezy her and amanda seafried great casting the two of them uh i i buy them as you know a parent child just you know on look alone but even outside of that sort of who cares kind of thing they just have a good dynamic together good, yeah. yeah exactly the chemistry's there and i just you know big moment career-wise for both of them uh to get to be meryl's daughter feels like big casting and meryl I mean, it has sort- to be huge right if you're a man to say for you to be like yeah you're doing mean girls four years ago and now you're playing across from the greatest actress of her Ever. generation or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's like yeah. an old timer, really. Yeah. yeah. She's up there. Like, it has to be like to get that role. I mean, it has to be like a lottery. It's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. huge. I mean, it's the huge for her career. Yeah. Uh, her career only does, you know, gangbusters after this. Um, for, again, for both of them, I think it's a big moment. I mean, Meryl goes to do, I'm not a fan of the Iron Lady, but her, she reteams with this director yeah. for that, you know, a few years later, gets an Oscar nom. Yeah. Does she get the, she gets she the win wins. for that, she doesn't wins she? for Iron Lady, I yeah, unfortunately. So. Wow, weird. weird. Makeup. They yeah. like people in prosthetics. They love it. Well, like she does an, a, and she does a great voice. She does a really good. You're doing an impression yeah. of somebody's That's another dialect. one where, yeah, Margaret you know, Thatcher. the movie's not great, but. I mean, yeah, she's good. It's, it's, she's Meryl. It's an incredible performance. Yeah. yeah, they just love when you can check across, check against a real person. You know, when when there's a, a real thing to be copying, they just love that as part of their grading rubric. Mm-hmm. They go nuts for it when there's a, a true thing. Unless you're Taron Egerton. Yeah, they did him dirty. Yeah, they did him dirty. I'm going to write good, the Academy. I think we should. I'm going to write a, my representative. You know what? I haven't thought we haven't talked about this. <laughs> Sidebar, because we don't <laughs> clearly we don't have a lot to say about the songs of Abba. I got a lot more to say about the songs of Elton John. Taron Egerton got done dirty on Rocket Man. He should have gotten on for that. That's way better than Bohemian Rhapsody. One hundred percent. Travesty. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Meryl's great. 
this is interesting for her career, I think. You know, it kind of sits in sort of a, I don't know, her, her she, she makes a transition to elder statesman, like, right, not with this film, but I feel like in the 2000s. And she's doing some, because she does the rom-com with Baldwin? Right. Yeah, yeah that's, I can't, what is that? It's complicated? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's they do right that around, around here, right? Is that Nora Ephron? Maybe. Sounds right. Could be. Anyway, or is it Nancy L. Brooks? Oh, it might be James L. Brooks. Could be yeah. Myers. Yeah, I I'm trying to it's, find her. It's it's got it's a heavy hitter. Oh yeah, they got this weird thing over here now. I just want her filmography is all I really want. Meryl Streep in the two thousands. Mamma Mia. Okay, so she does this. She does doubt. No, oh, oh, God, God, so yeah. good. She's so good in that. Right? Yeah. Uh, she gets to do uh, Julia. Julia, Julia and Julia. Julia. Yeah. Yeah, she does It's Complicated in 09. Yeah, there it is. She does the voice in uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And that is Nancy Myers. Okay. And she does Iron Lady in 2011. Yes, I mean, one of the few actresses who's been able to stay employed prominently as she's aged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, Which her, a- Blanchett, there's, you know, there, she's not alone, but it's a rarefied... You know, yeah. category. Not many folks. Even, I mean, Jennifer Connelly was gone for for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. doing some small stuff, but the business is rude. Yeah, obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Uh, okay, and that's you know quite an understatement for what it is. <laughs> Calling it rude is on, <laughs> yeah. on, on, churching it up a little bit. If we're being honest, you're not wrong. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just sort of an interesting. It's fun for her, you know. It's it's again between. I guess this is sort of a fun period for her with Fantastic Mr. Fox and Julie and Julia. But I, I again, I I think of Doubt sort of as being the, the other thing that she's doing around this time. And so it's, you know, she's just got a fun career. And she's I, just able to work a lot, I think. I think she does these sort of fun movies. And I mean, yeah, she, I mean, we watched her in The Giver the other mm-hmm, day. Right. Yeah. She's got a little role <laughs> as a, a, a sort of a heavy, mm-hmm. you know, bureaucratic lady, yeah. you know, yeah. mayor. Of the but what was the, uh, she, she is in a, uh, a comedy with Roseanne Barr. Do you remember we saw that trailer? Oh, yeah. Do you yeah, remember yeah. what that was? Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but I didn't remember. She-Devil, maybe. Might have been that, Maybe it's yeah. that. Interesting. Is that an older one? Yeah, it was like in the 80s. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, just fun. And, and it's something she continues to, I mean, just recently did Let Them All Talk. Like, has had a, a lot of fun, I think, the last few years, as far as, like, the project she's picking. And she's, I mean, yeah, and that, and she's also able to lend the credibility of Meryl to those films. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just yeah. automatically adds to it and no one ever is ever like kind of patronizing her for it. And the way we do some other actors when we see them, Oh, they're just doing a paycheck movie. Like right. no one's saying that about Meryl. Yeah. Yeah. No. People say about Sam Jackson, right? Yeah. He does the good ones and he does the ones he just gets paid for. Yeah. You know? And that's like, that's not really the, yeah. I mean, probably, but you know, you know so what? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, this movie does a pretty good job of, sort of addressing like the, the way society sets up women for failure, both in terms of like what it expects out of them behaviorally and what it expects out of them life path wise. Mm-hmm. And we get it for both Sophie and Donna, like the movie's exploring it for both characters in, in interesting ways. And Donna's like got this, you know, repressed religious guilt stuff about how she does not sure who her daughter's dad is. Her daughter's obviously does not care about this, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know this it's creating a, a, a strife where none should be. I think it's it's fun the way the movie deals with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
what's Catherine Baranski? Baranski. I think that's say Baranski. Yeah. You know, she gets to uh, you know, Meryl says I was, you know, I was just a little slut. She's like, you start, you sound like your mother. Yeah, yeah. It's just your Catholic guilt. Yeah, you forget about it. Like, I mean, yeah, it just kind of embraces Donna being Donna and being this kind of free spirit. And she had fun with a lot of guys, yeah. right? And she just lived her life. She got her heart broken and she grew up and she was a single mom, but she doesn't have regrets and she's mm-hmm. not worried about any of that. And, you know, there's these little flickers and this p- moment when these guys come back and she's like, ah, oh, did I do something wrong? And they're like, nah. nah. Yeah. You no. were you. You're Donna. Yeah. I, I think it celebrates her in a way that's really refreshing well and simultaneously it's got sophie being like oh wait i don't have to get married yeah it's a cool mm-hmm. bit yeah it's just like wait a second we don't have to do this what are we doing yeah we don't want we don't need to do this and which is you know it is i don't know it's it is definitely a, a bit of like made up conflict for her and her mom to have the moment where she's like oh you don't want to get married i i knew that this would happen and you know that it's just some sort of drummed up conflict does i'm not sure how much i buy it you know what i mean when the movie like tries to pivot into that yeah but i, I do like that she definitely comes not not that it needs her to agree with her mother but like it's it's kind of a nice moment for her to be like oh, okay i can still like forge some sort of independence for myself sure you know, i don't have to rush into well generally the women have a lot more agency in the movie altogether you know yeah than, than we ordinarily see which i think is nice well i mean it's you know it it really gets a lot of mileage out of being female centric in that way mm-hmm. you know it, it, it's not it doesn't feel like it was made by dudes in, in a way that's like i couldn't give more of a, as more of a compliment you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's very refreshing in that yeah and I, I think that is the i mean kind of go back to my view that's the thing i admire about this is that it i mean that really does set it apart from most movies about women especially women of meryl's what she's like late 40s here i guess yeah. probably mm-hmm. right so, somewhere in there well it's a middle-aged romance for the most yeah. part and that's that's also something pretty rare yeah and that's fun yeah oh we haven't talked about um harry uh who is uh, headbanger yeah headbanger head harry he's never loved another woman <laughs> Sid and never harry. will again and never will again very they're you know they don't really do a whole lot with that they don't even like say it out loud but you know yeah. the implications there and i'm i'm fine with that yeah i'm happy fine. with it it's cute. Yeah, that's fine. He yeah. gets a little Greek hunk that he ends up spinning the last, you know, couple of songs of the movie with his arm around. Yeah. That's fun. It's good stuff. You know, the movie's trying and, mm-hmm. you know, we like that. Nothing, nothing wrong there. Bohemian Skarsgård's a hoot. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. 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 Travel, travel, rider, and... travel rider Skarsgård. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm into it. He's fun. Yeah, I mean, they're all, all the so through. fun. Like yeah. Brosnan and uh, just they're having a great time. They play off of each other very well. They play mm-hmm. off of Meryl very well. It's an in- exceptionally well cast film for sure. I was really thinking about Three Men and a Baby when I was, oh, yeah. when I saw them together. And you know, and then there's the there's the movie I need. Yeah, just put them three back together and let them raise a child. Well, does hey, look? It, I, will I ever get around to here we go again? Probably not. If I didn't get around to it for the, if I didn't get around to it for this episode, it's probably, it's probably not going to happen until I make you watch it. Yeah, and until yeah, until you make us revisit this in the next you know episode one thousand and one when you make us do here we go again. Uh, Wouldn't that be fun? Oh my god, I would like to see uh, you know because I, I assume yeah everybody's back. <laughs> oh man, it's, that's an idea. Yeah. <laughs>
worse ideas have been had is the problem uh i don't know yeah i'd like to see what they do with because i assume they bring everybody back for the sequel i think i saw everybody's name i would assume you'd have to everybody wants to i mean that's the thing is it because it is a vacation movie that's everyone's got a lot of goodwill i need to go to greece for three months okay another one okay burden me i guess (laughs) twist my arm oh no stop stop well i think i I saw something you know brosnan uh signed on because greece but also he wanted to work with meryl yeah, I mean that was a big thing for him, and he Makes liked her like the the blonde he always uh, was kind of attracted to and never got to to work with, <laughs> and so uh, that was a big moment. I mean, again, Meryl, she's a living legend. Yeah, and people want to work with her, and has been since the seventies. I would assume if you get Meryl to sign on first, everything else just falls in line. Uh, yeah, I don't understand the inner workings of Hollywood, but that just seems like a certainty. I think you're right. Yeah, you Meryl. Okay. Yeah, Meryl wants to do it, then that's pretty much a lock. Yeah, like I imagine. Because, yeah, who's not going to want to? I don't yeah. I'm a monster. Uh, I don't know. We don't you know, get a lot with the dads here, but we don't need a lot. Uh, you know, we don't... There's not a lot of dads and daughters stuff out there, really. You know? Uh, that's not creepy, I guess. That isn't sort yeah. of like the purity dance sort of kind of just weird cultural stuff that I don't... be. I'm, I have nothing nice to say, and therefore we'll say nothing about it. But, you know, it's not like movies do a great job of portraying that relationship with... And, and uh, I don't know, to see it done, you know, an unconventional relationship, we, I always appreciate that thing in film. Any, anything that's uh, not necessarily... Uh, upending conventional family structures, but at the very least questioning them, I think is valuable for our, our cinemas to be doing. Uh, not that, again, that the movie does anything other than, like, they all decide uh, they're uh, going to be a third of a dad, which I love the joke of, <laughs> uh, yeah, you look your whole life for one, and then you, you can't get rid of them. Yep. Uh, <laughs> very, very fun to have a little laugh at their expense. My three dads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the sequel gets a lot of f- mileage out of that. Yeah. Um, it's a rich man's world comes up because it's an ABBA song, but yeah. not really much of a theme here in the movie other than, you know, Donna's worried about how, how they're going to keep the, the hotel afloat. But again, because it's a movie with movie problems, that doesn't really ever become an issue. Yeah. I mean, they're going to get connected to the internet and yeah, you know, some digital marketing is going to take place. Breakfast, you know, they find you're going to see some ads on Facebook and people are like, Hey, we should go there. Yeah, well, the Aphrodite fountain yeah. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. That, that's presumably like that. That's that solves all their problems, I guess. I would the, the movie just yeah. sort of like goes, "Isn't this great?" And I guess yeah. that's, the implication is because it solves their money problems. Yeah. Okay. I, sure. Why not? And she's not really worried too much about it because she just refuses Harry's check. Yeah. Right. And so I mean, yeah. she she assumes something's going to work out. Yeah. If it's meant to, and that is her sort of free spirit. Blow with the wind, no impulsive attack. nature. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's render a verdict on Mamma Mia. What do we say? Shelf or trash, Arthur? Go. Uh, there is a place for it on a shelf, uh, but it is not my shelf, and so <laughs> I would gently put it on the trash. <laughs> very, very, very diplomatically put. Thank you very much. What do you say, Dalton? And very non-threatening, non-committal trashing. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Arthur. I'm, it's, I'm not mad about this. It's just, yeah, it's not for I me. I, I don't, don't need expect re- the Mamma Mia stands are going to come after us on this, but oh, yeah, they don't seem like the kind of people that come after people. Probably no, they're too busy dancing and singing and having yeah, such a good having time, a fucking fabulous <laughs> time. They don't care. Dancing queens. That's right. And that's <laughs> that's the lesson for us, I think, is 
why why did we try to analyze Mamma Mia? We're asking the wrong questions. Why aren't we just having a good time and vibing? This yeah. should have been our musical episode. Yeah, we should have just been singing to each other the entire time. <laughs> Dustin, yeah, trash free. Yeah, it's not a shelter for me, but it's it's I'm not offended by it in any way. Yeah, it's fine. It's very very fine. And uh, and if I w- and honestly, I can see a situation or circumstance where it could have been a movie for me. But I just it didn't hit me no. at the right time, right place. A little, a little bit more choreography. I come up to like three, three and a half stars. I mean, if the narrative easy. is stronger, yeah, I'm a lot warmer on it. Yeah, but you know, it's not not bad. There's nothing wrong with it, really. Yeah. Um. So there you go, dear listener. Um. Those are our thoughts on Mamma Mia. Uh. If you are the Mamma Mia stand and wish to come back at us, Dalton will tell you how. That's right. I forgot to do it uh, twice uh, in two weeks. Uh, I meant to do it at the top of the show today and forgot. Uh, what if it was a Randy Newman? jukebox musical that's exactly the question we should be asking is what if it's a randy newman jukebox musical and you can get that answer yourself at a randy newman tribute coming to a stage near you if you live in oklahoma city uh on april 8th which will be tomorrow when you're hearing this i think i think this episode drops on april 7th uh i'm I'm, dustin asked me how you can hear more from us i'll get to that in a second i want to talk about this first this is more important than this is more important yeah by far talk about live show stuff uh our friend dan wade who hosts the very good podcast wheel of randy is hosting a randy newman tribute at the rodeo cinema in the stockyard city here in oklahoma city uh, so that's the uh, Stockyards location for rodeo theaters or rodeo cinemas. Um, it's uh, going to be a fun time. Doors at seven, show at eight uh, on April 8th. It's like 20 bucks, uh, 25 at the door, I think, if you don't buy them ahead of time. Uh, come on out. Uh, it's going to be hosted by formerly named funniest person in the in Oklahoma City, Alex Sanchez. Or I'm sorry, he's going to be the opener. It's going to be hosted by Jamie Clark, who is also very funny. Uh, so it'll be a fun show uh, hosted by, you know, lots of people that we know and are in the sort of the good trash orbit. So, uh, yeah, come check that out. It'll be a good time. Tall person uh, with uh, Dan Wade, uh, a tribute to Randy Newman, April 8th at the uh, Rodeo Cinema. Uh, if you want to find out more about what we're doing or want to tell us what we're doing wrong, you can uh, do that. <laughs> Dustin's shaking his head yes, aggressively, almost as though he's a chihuahua. Uh, yeah, he wants to know. He's desperate to know. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> How can he be better as sort of a man uh, chihuahua? Uh, say you'll cure a Taco Bell. <laughs> no. Uh, he doesn't want to say it because he knows. Uh, anyway, it's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for any of that long-form feedback you got. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for your long-form feedback. Uh, you can also keep up with us on Good Trash uh, at Good Trash Media on Twitter. Uh, that's at Good Trash Media on Twitter. That's pretty much where we're active on socials. Uh, and last but certainly not least, if you want to help keep the lights on, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and find out uh, what's in it for you. Uh, all kinds of fun stuff like picking a movie for the show, uh, for us to discuss, getting movies sent to you, all kinds of cute uh, bonuses. It's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, have you another film for us to do next? Boys, there's just not enough podcasters in the Navy. <laughs> so next week... Are we enlisting? We're going to enlist. Oh, oh no. no. We're going to shave our heads, and we're going to analyze G.I. Jane. G.I. Oh, man. Wow. All right. Wow. A, a polarizing film. Wow. That's what we're going to be talking about next? I tell you what, um, there is some um, really, really tough, tough reciting of uh, 
transcendentalist poetry from uh, Viggo Mortensen in this movie. So, good times. <laughs> what you don't expect. <laughs> what you absolutely don't expect. I never expected to be talking about this movie. I don't think anybody's thought about this movie since the 90s. Well, or since the last Oscars. Well, and that's why it was it was an old joke then, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>